Under the Cortex is supported by Macmillan Learning Psychology. The Big Dipper, Orion, and the Pleiades are just a few of the many recognizable star patterns in the night sky. New research published in the journal Psychological Science reveals that our visual processing system may explain the striking commonality of constellations among cultures. I'm Charles Blue with the Association for Psychological Science, and today I'm talking with Charles Kemp with the University of Melbourne and lead author on that paper. Welcome to Under the Cortex. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I am actually an amateur astronomer, so I've spent a lot of time looking at the night sky. Even so, with my wildest imagination, I don't see a winged horse when I know I'm looking at Pegasus or a mighty hero in the constellation of Hercules. I'd always assumed there was a lot of cultural influence for people to imagine such shapes. Your research takes a direct look at the connection between culture and patterns in the sky. Can you give us a little overview of what you've discovered? Sure. Well, first of all, I would agree with you completely that there's a huge cultural influence on the the patterns we see in the night sky. And that was uh, one of the questions we wanted to ask with this research to understand what's the balance between the influence of culture and the influence of, of visual perception. So three of our team were psychologists, and I think that many psychologists would first think about addressing a question like this by developing a new clever lab task, but, but we did something different. We looked at the constellation systems from cultures all around the world, thinking of these as the outcome of a natural experiment in which uh, people over many, many years in different places around the world have looked at the same stimulus, the night sky, and organized it differently into groups. And I I think we really did two things in the research. The first thing was just to look across 27 different cultures, what commonalities do we see in the the groupings of stars in in the constellation systems? And uh, we found that certain constellations are near universal, so things like the Pleiades, uh, the Big Dipper, and so on. And this was expected from, from previous research. But we also found there was a long tail of constellations that might not be universal, but appear Uh, across many unrelated cultures. So these included things like Corona Borealis, Corona Australis, uh, Delphinus, and others as well. So that was just documenting the convergences in constellations across cultures. In the second part of the research, we asked, why might we see these convergences? And we looked at that using a a computational model that groups stars into structures based on brightness and proximity. So the model says stars that are nearby uh, are likely to get grouped together, and uh, the model is particularly likely to pay attention to bright stars rather than faint stars. And we found that a model like that did a a pretty good job at explaining the the kinds of uh, groupings that are recognized by multiple cultures around the world. So previous research, or at least previous thinking, was that regardless of the orientation or the presentation of the stars, there had to have been some sort of cultural reason for seeing these patterns, that there were stories, there were traditions, and for example, as we we discussed, Pegasus and Hercules. How much does your research complement or differentiate from that? Well, I think our research is consistent with that, but perhaps suggests a slightly different idea about where culture comes into the process. One way you can think about this is using ideas from the literature and visual perception. So vision scientists sometimes talk about low-level vision, mid-level vision, high-level vision. So in our context, low-level vision would be noticing individual stars, mid-level vision would be grouping individual stars together, and high-level vision would be 
attaching some kind of interpretation to the groups that you see. So from this perspective, figuring out that seven particular stars go together into something that we call the Big Dipper, grouping those seven stars that would be mid-level vision, but seeing them as a dipper rather than a vehicle or a leopard or something else, that would be high-level vision. So I think our approach suggests that basic processes of visual perception are offering up the same groupings to people all around the world, but then uh, culture comes in when uh, influencing the stories and the interpretations people give to those, to those groupings of stars. Well, humans are pattern-seeking animals, so this is a connection to our ability to find patterns, or is it something more basic? Well, I'm inclined to think that the entire process of vision might be uh, a process of finding patterns from the, the lowest levels up. And this is consistent with, with some ideas in the, the literature on visual perception. If there's an object out there in the world, then you know, light bouncing off that object is going to have predictable properties. So I suppose I think of this idea of, of pattern finding as fundamental to, to all stages of, of vision. And I suppose I think about what we're doing as looking at pattern finding at the level of mid-level vision, how individual stars are grouped together to form larger units. I'm really curious about the breadth of your research. You surveyed a whole variety of cultures and civilization. How broad was this? Was this a survey across both geographic and temporal civilizations? Uh, How much of Earth's culture were you able to really dive into? We were able to look at data from 27 different cultures, and these were cultures from all around the world. So Europe, Asia, Australia, North America, South America. And we were able to do this largely in part because of Stellarium, which is an online planetarium. It's a piece of software you can download and try out if you're interested, and it's really great. One of the things it does, it's, it's provided kind of a gathering place for people all around the world to document their local sky cultures, and we used uh, some of those data. So this was really a game changer for us. In the early stages of this research, I had laboriously documented constellation systems for three or four uh, different cultures, just going from the scholarly literature, and it took a huge amount of time. There's a lot of stars out there, so I'm sure there were a lot of constellations to contend with. Yeah, and uh, so, I mean, the Chinese system, that was one of the ones I documented. The version I documented had about 300 constellations, I think. So there I was notating all of these things, and it was just a relief to find that a lot of this work had been done already by contributors to Stellarium. Was there anything in your research that surprised you or was unexpected? Yes, there was. So one message of our paper is that perceptual principles explain more of the shared structure of constellation systems across cultures than previously recognized. But that I still want to emphasize that there's a huge amount of variability. And in fact, the amount of variability across cultures was something that surprised me. So things that I just taken for granted just don't apply universally when you look across cultures. So one example is you might think that constellations tend to come in a certain size, you know, maybe related to the amount of the night sky that a person can take in in a single glance. But there are some cultures like the Gwich'in in Alaska uh, that have whole sky constellations. And um, the Big Dipper is the tail of a creature. Uh, the creature is called Yadi, I believe. And the Big Dipper is just the tail of the creature. So that gives you a sense of the scope. So that kind of thing was, you know, striking and intriguing and a surprise. Well, I've had the fortune to be able to spend a fair amount of time in the deserts in Chile, which are phenomenally dark. 
And uh, it's really, first of all, striking how many stars you can see on any given night. Uh, 2,500 stars is, is not uncommon, and, and they're incredibly bright. On a, on a moonless night, I could actually see my shadow just from the Milky Way. But what I think is also striking is when you see allegedly familiar constellations in a different hemisphere, suddenly Orion is now standing on his head when I'm used to seeing him uh, head side up and the Big Dipper is twisted about and you can't see them as you normally would. Did you find that there was actually a difference when you're considering northern and southern interpretation of constellations? Do the same groupings apply? Yeah, well, that's an interesting question. In this this work, I suppose, is really a starting point. We didn't look so much at the actual interpretations of the groupings, but that's a really fascinating area for, for future work. This question about northern versus southern cultures, there's kind of a, a very basic first level thing that we see in the data, which is that cultures from the southern part of the world are more likely to identify uh, southern constellations. So things like the, the southern pointers and and the Southern Cross and so on, which is kind of obvious because, you know, in certain parts of the North, you can't even see those constellations. And in places where you see them rarely, you know, only for a few weeks or so in the year, then you're less likely to have, have names for them. So that's something that we have looked at. Well, do your findings provide any new insights into the way humans see patterns? And I'm thinking of something like Pareidolia, where the, this is the tendency to see patterns and faces and random objects like an uh, overly burnt toast or uh, religious iconography in a piece of wood. Is there any connection with this? And does it provide any sort of deeper insights into the way humans see patterns? So I think there is a connection. And in fact, one member of our team, Simon Cropper, has worked on uh, Pareidolia before. I would say perhaps that the questions we were asking open up a new paradigm for, for studying pareidolia, a new experimental paradigm, perhaps, where you present people with dot stimuli and you ask them to both organize them into groups and to tell them what you see. And in fact, my co-author Simon Cropper has uh, begun to develop experiments like this. And so one of the interesting things here is that constellations, in a way, the, the visual stimulus is relatively impoverished. It's just a bunch of dots, right? But people put them together and, and see objects. So you could imagine a line of work where you vary things like the spacing between the dots and the regularity and so on, and you study, well, does that affect the probability that people will uh, be able to interpret the, the dot stimulus as uh, something meaningful to them? So Simon Cropper has just been, I think, starting out along this line of research, actually doing an experiment where you show people patterns of, of, of stars and ask them to, to interpret them. But I think there's a... Uh, a really big unexplored space of questions here to look at. Okay, I have one final question, and I'm not sure if you've noticed, but uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, there's, of course, the old thing about the man in the moon. You take a look at it, you can almost see a face, and, of course, faces pop out. Now, I guess in Australia, it has a different orientation, uh, the way you see it. Is is there any, like, obvious facial pattern that is recognized or thought about uh, by looking at it uh, what I would consider upside down. Uh, so I don't know. My colleague Dwayne would know. He's an expert expert on Australian astronomy. I can say that uh, Chinese see a rabbit in the moon, I think, and it's associated with a story about uh, a mortal who went up and, and lived on the moon. So that's uh, at least a second data point suggesting that there are different stories about uh, the appearance of the moon. 
Sounds delightful. Well, I definitely am looking forward for the uh, summer constellations to come out here. I always enjoy Orion when he arrives in the winter time, but uh, I prefer warmer weather now. Uh, this is Charles Blue, and I have been talking with Charles Kemp, and his research is now published in the journal Psychological Science. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. It was a real pleasure. Introducing Macmillan Learning's Achieve for Psychology, setting a whole new standard for integrating assessments, activities, and analytics into your teaching. Now live in dedicated versions for Macmillan's 2022 psychology titles, Achieve brings together everything instructors and students love about our digital course content, interactive ebooks, learning curve adaptive quizzing, additional assessments, immersive learning activities, extensive instructor resources, and more all in a powerful yet easy-to-use new platform. And now, we'd like to give you an exclusive first look and tell us what you think. Go to macmillanlearning.com forward slash psych sessions for your own special preview of Achieve. Macmillan's Achieve for Psychology. Engaging every student, supporting every instructor, setting the new standard for teaching and learning. <laughs>